Jay right in your face. Welcome back to episode number 12 of the Fadeaway Podcast. Bonus episode this week, buddy. Oh, yes. For the first time ever, I think we're doing two this week. Two days in a row. Uh, but there's a special reason for that. Yes. Uh, so uh, without further ado, let's get right into this because we got a lot to uncover today. Mm. Uh, we have uh, the Raptors 905 junior coach, the amazing Wumi. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? Uh, we are doing so, so good. So I just want to be honest with our guests. I have no clue how to pronounce your last name and I don't <laughs> want to try it and I, I, like I'm not because I have a very difficult last name too and I went through school my whole life with people butchering my last name so I don't want to do that yeah. um, so if you can just give us and the listeners just one pronunciation so I just have some sort of idea all right it's a good day. okay well I'm so glad I didn't try that one because I <laughs> definitely would not have succeeded there no worries. I was uh, wondering if you're gonna give it a try, but it's good stuff. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I, I was not gonna do that today. Uh, but thank you so much for that, and uh, welcome to the show. We are so so honored to have you on. Um, we're super excited to to uncover uh, everything within the next hour with you. Um, but before we get into sort of uh, everything there, can you tell our listeners about what your current position is? and what you're doing with the Raptors 905, just briefly, because we're going to get into all of that later on. For sure. So uh, right now I'm the by title called the, the Raptor uh, junior coach with the 905, and really what that entails is me just getting an in-depth look at everything that they do as far as the coaching staff, front office, um, the whole nine. But primarily I'm with the coaching staff and doing every single thing that they're doing, and just a full – full-fledged opportunity for me to just explore what this league's about and what the organization's about. So, yeah. Cool. We can that's, definitely that's awesome. go deeper uh, as we oh, go yeah. along. Oh, we will. We, yeah. we definitely, definitely will. Let's but just, good, good overview. Let's just go back to the beginning, I guess, and maybe explain to us and everyone who, who would be listening, you know, what made you fall in love with the game or how would you introduce to the game of basketball? Uh, really, I was introduced by the game of basketball on my on my own. <laughs> Um, started when, before I even knew myself, to be completely honest. And I always tell the story of my mom coming to pick me up at daycare when I was like maybe a year and a half years old and would just play with a basketball or like any ball really. And I would just like try to bounce it and constantly with the basketball, all the kids would be playing and I'm there with whether basketball, soccer ball, but I'm treating it like a, like a basketball. And all of a sudden, like, things just started to transpire where I'd be playing at the time on my balcony and I would just be dribbling the basketball, didn't know how to dribble properly, like, nothing. But I just loved the game and, you know, every time I dropped the ball, it came right back to me. So, like, there is something magical with that whole relationship that I have with the game, like, from the very beginning of of my career, I guess. And one thing kind of led to another and, like, played throughout my entire life ever since, like I said before, I even knew myself. How old were you when you started playing? Organized, I was in the fifth grade. So okay. Okay. so pretty early, actually. Yeah, 10 years old. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, that was my first time playing organized, but I was, I guess, quote-unquote, scouted uh, while playing soccer. And I was the goalkeeper for my club team, and I had two left feet, so, like, 
soccer definitely wasn't something that I saw myself going very far. <laughs> but I had great hands, great reflexes, and could jump. So put me in that, and I was really good at that. And someone saw me and asked me to come out for a tryout and went out, made the team, and everyone was completely shocked and in awe. Like, where did this kid come from? Like, she is a freak athlete and has such a knack for the game. And, yeah, so that's that's how I uh, started playing organized basketball. Yeah. And uh, what pos- what position were you when you first started playing? Is it sort of the same position that you carried forward throughout your career, or did you see a change later on when you got to a certain level? Um, I was – well, when I first began, um, I played the one through five. And yeah. uh, how it usually is right. when you're and younger then, uh, and you're just more talented than everyone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when no one else can dribble basketball, I was the kid that can dribble. When yeah. no one else can, like, crack, like, you know, bang down low, I was the kid that was banging down low. So wherever I was needed, I would make sure I fill that void. But uh, so I played every position up until, like, high school, honestly, and then transferred to like a wing slash forward so i was playing inside and outside depending on who was defending me so i just played to the mismatches and that's what really got my career going like upwards so, so yeah. what which um club teams did you play for like growing up and like i assume you played like red ball and the tra- right. travel teams and all that so <clears throat> what, what were the clubs you played for so i played for scarborough lancers which is now the blues so scarborough blues yeah. okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then played with Advantage Titans, and as far as AU went, I played with um, A-Game, and that's also like a very known organization out here, and I played, of course, for our national team and stuff, like, throughout my career, so those are like my main, my main teams, as well as my school teams, Dumbarton High School and my elementary school, Gannett San Diego, try saying that three times. No, no, not a chance. <laughs> honestly, honestly, Wumi, I looked up some of your like I was I was looking into some of your journey and and everything, and you chose some very very difficult schools. Like even where you went to college, we're gonna talk about that. I don't even know how to say that one. I, to, I think I have to Google. I'm like, how do you how do you say this? Like, <laughs> that's we'll, so we'll, funny. We'll get into that. Never yeah. thought of that, but that's interesting, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, so I guess when we were talking, obviously, you said you started out playing the one through five and. That seems to be very typical of anybody who plays basketball at a high level. When you ask them where they started, right. uh, they were bringing the ball up, and they were also <laughs> the middle of the 2-3 zone in the back and anchoring right. everything. So they weren't literally fully one through five. Uh, but obviously, as you progressed and you got older, you were more solidified in you know your position and your skill set, obviously playing with people uh, on, on pretty much the same level, right. uh, more or less, as you. So obviously, to get to that level... Um, there's got to be a certain, you know, amount of work ethic and, and hard work that you and determination rather uh, that you have to put in. So who would you say instilled your work ethic uh, and helped you get to where you, you are now? Uh, I'd say my mom, my mother and my brother. Shout so, out mom and bro. Yeah, really. Um, My mom was she didn't <clears throat> uh, she didn't play basketball or anything, but just the steady grind that she was constantly on to make sure that we were all good, you know, and For sure. that came from her working hours that were beyond me and her still coming home and making sure the household is intact. I got, I got all my homework done. Like everything was taken care of. And so as far as my brother goes, I mean, 
he played ball and stopped earlier than he should have. And and you ever I mean, knock him for that? Oh, hundred percent. But then, <laughs> but then there's a part of me that kind of feels bad because like there's right. some reg- regret there, you know. Yeah, but sure. um, yeah, like he, I would go to the gym with him all the time. And during the summers, when I was in elementary school, high school, like he would work at the YMCA at that time, and I would go to work with him and would be in the gym all day. And then during the times that he had some free time, he'd come in there and we'd get after it. And I definitely give the credit to those two, as well as like my coaches, honestly, um, Charles Casey, Scotty, uh, Scotty awful, those two people. And man, the, the list really goes on. Like I could name a ton of people. Um, so I, I actually want to interrupt you for a yeah. sec. Cause we yeah. are kind of, we were kind of both looked at each other. We're like, Charles Kissy, that name sounds super familiar. Because yeah. we actually went to Brock University. I believe uh, that. And he coach. was coaching at Brock the time we were there. Yeah. Okay. Really so cool. So we don't personally know him, but we definitely recognize that name. So could you actually tell us a little bit about um, his personality? Because we've heard some stories, and I just want to hear from someone who's directly, you know, been, sure. been with him and somebody, I guess, you view as a mentor as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Coach Charles, Coach Kissy, whichever whichever name you want to call him, he's someone who's first and foremost a great human being. And beyond that, he's passionate, he's intense. He is someone that can get you playing at 100%. And within, like, with him, him, within him saying something or, like, or messaging something across to us, you're playing at 110%. You know, and... Mm-hmm. He was just someone that a great motivator and him as a coach was, it, it was amazing playing for him. I mean, at times I, I I'd be on, I'll be honest. I, I hated it because he's <laughs> yeah, pushed yeah. me beyond my limits, you know, but sure. if it wasn't for him pushing me to that level, then goodness, I wouldn't, I, I don't know if I'd be able to break that barrier to then elevate my game, you know? And you know what? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I mean, that that's really like, who he is he's someone that just pushes you to your limit and then helps you shatter the ceiling that's above you and then helps you blossom into another uh, like another human being another player yeah and that's uh, i guess that's even more than you can ask for and it's pretty ironic because a lot of times when you listen to people who uh, played the sport competitively and, and really went far with the sport and then they think back to some of their childhood coaching memories some have coaches and mentors like yourself some have their parents as their coaches and mentors and almost every single one of them will tell you there was a point in time where i despised this individual yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it it wasn't a despise out of like pure hate it was just a man like you are pushing me in ways that are making me super uncomfortable and it's bothering me at this time because i can't really fully understand what you're trying to do right Uh, but then obviously now and especially in your position being a you know in a coaching capacity and not you're not coaching any you're coaching in the g league like this is high level basketball so just to have that you know mentality and and just understand exactly what it was that he was doing i guess Mm -hmm. makes you look back and be like wow like that is a great person to have uh, and such an asset to have as well as a player growing up absolutely absolutely you hit it dead on like you as a player you 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 may not see what they're seeing you know but they're pushing you for a reason you know, and at the time Absolutely. you have no idea, yeah. but I mean, you look back and you're like, man, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. You know, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I just want to ask about 
your whole experience with the recruitment process. So you said you played for the Blues. That was yeah. like the, the, the rep team you played for. You played AAU right. ball. You played high school ball. Yeah. Now, what was your recruitment experience like? When did you kind of first get noticed? Mm-hmm. How did that who who first noticed you? How like, did that? When go did you about? know you were nice? That when too, it, yeah. <laughs> like I could, I could, I could ball. You know, which possession was it when he brought it up the court and hit a one-two step back three? Like that was like okay, now I'm nice. Like, how did how, I how did that all start? What was the move? What was I, the feeling? And who who noticed you first? I would say. Um my my go-to move where I was like, all right, this is it. Like I could Regardless. possibly make some money off of this was super simple. <laughs> It was just catching it, uh, like near the high post or the three point line, one hard jab to the left, one drill pull up because I could elevate over anybody, and like the jab, like the hard jab to the left, going to my right, gave me enough time and gave me enough of an advantage to create some separation and then like horizontally and then create some separation vertically because no one could challenge my shot. And when I was hitting that, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, when I was hitting that consistently, I was like, man, like. I'm pretty good at this, but at some point, people are going to catch on and be like, all right, every time she jabs left, she's going right. So I had to, like, Mm -hmm. add more to my game. Sure. Were you more of an inside or outside shooter? I was – I did a bit of both, but if I had to say, I'd say inside, and it was more so the mid-range game, which is unfortunately – becoming God. non-existent <laughs> but yeah. did you did you see that uh diagram that they released a couple it's, yeah. it's been surfacing on like the yeah. twitter world and i'm sure you've seen it where it's like the shot chart yeah it was like the 200 most favorable shots in the yeah. league yeah. 2000 versus 2020 right and just a, a representation of where the sport has gone and and we always talk about this on our podcast too about when you look at it's so easy to talk about guys like lebron and guys like kevin durant but why I love and why we love Steph Curry so much is because he's changed the entire game as it's played yeah. across the globe. Not just, yeah. you know, changed the dynamic of his own team or franchise or the conference even within the league. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the world. Kids now are this is the way they're playing. And I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'm sold and I love the new method of playing basketball, but I mean it goes to show that if you are able to just have that kind of impact on the game, it really it really is just crazy, honestly. It's it's hard to put it into words. For sure, for sure. The game's definitely evolving, and now with the help of analytics that have really influenced the game and the world, really, the the numbers show that you're much more efficient getting to the rim or shooting the three-pointer because of the, the, the value of those points as a three-pointer and then the efficiency as far as uh, how close you are to the rim whenever you shoot a rim shot. So, I mean... Statistics definitely play a role in the way in which we're now playing. Yeah. Uh, the mid-range game is – teams are now trying to limit the amount of mid-range shots that mm-hmm. their teams are are shooting because of the numbers. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, I I was listening to an interview with Ryan Saunders, the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. And he was straight up saying, like, we had conversations with Andrew Wiggins about stop, stop the stop, stop the long two. It's mm-hmm. just one of the worst shots in basketball. Yeah. Take a step. And same thing happened with Zach Levine in Chicago with Boylan when he came in, and they were like, you need to stop shooting the twos, and he couldn't believe it. Yeah. yeah. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, I do this at a very high level. I don't know what you're talking about. And unfortunately, I don't know if you want to say fortunately or unfortunately, but analytics, like you said, had – um, it's fair influence on the game. But uh, we did venture a little bit. I want to get back to Zayt's question 
Uh, just because we want to learn more For about sure. your recruiting process. So obviously you chose, and now don't oh, don't make no. fun of me, but is it Duquesne? Uh, don't worry, uh, it's du- Duquesne. <laughs> Damn, Duquesne. <laughs> I even pronounced the S. Oh too? no! Oh, yeah, the S is silent. Me, <laughs> oh my God, Duquesne. Duquesne! I'm never gonna get that one wrong again. So, um, talk to us about um your recruitment process and what that was like, and sort of how old you were when they first reached out to you, or when a college in general reached out to you, and how you made that decision as well. Yeah. So, um, the first the first time interest started flowing in was the end of my going into high school. So entering my ninth grade and wow. it was after a tournament in Michigan. And I went out to this tournament, not knowing what I was getting into. I was just, I just knew that I was going to go play some ball and I was all for it. And after that tournament, just started receiving letters after letters. And it was definitely overwhelming. And I had like no idea what was going on. And, my mother nor father knew either. You know, my mom's from Jamaica, dad's from Nigeria. To them, basketball was just like a hobby, you know, a or hobby. Yeah. yeah, either a hobby or something that NBA players played. And <laughs> something you did after so, you did your homework. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, for them, they didn't really know what was going on either. And it took me, like, you know, going to my coaches, like, hey, like, I'm receiving these like these letters in the mail and one I've never received mail uh like two they're they're from schools like schools from all over but I don't really know what's going on and it took them being like hey well I'm like these are schools that are interested in you joining their program and from this you're able to get a free education and as soon as that was echoed to my parents oh they were for it you know, we're in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're exactly. sold. Keep <laughs> playing. Keep playing. Where's the school? We'll drive you right there. <laughs> right. So yeah. that's kind of um, that. That was their take on it. Like they saw that it was a great opportunity for me to continue my schooling and not have to pay a cent. And for me, I was like, "This is awesome!" Like after high school, I can continue playing basketball and sure the school, like the schooling part, the academics is great too. So uh, why not? And how I came about choosing Duquesne, it. I, to be honest, I didn't know the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And I say it all the time that I'm just extremely lucky, blessed, grateful that I chose the perfect fit. And yes. and I I use like a principle and like a principle of mine of, you know, I want to go somewhere. I want to be a part of something that wants and needs me more than I need them. So, yeah, okay. So Duquesne was that one school that was sending handwritten letters nonstop versus other schools that would write me a handwritten letter here and there or would send me a generic mail out that they would just switch the names, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I, I, I was, I, I came to realizing all that pretty quickly. And it was just like a genuine feel that I got from that coaching staff and the phone calls and them coming out to come out to watch high school practices and goodness, like those were treacherous. So like for them to sit through it and, and be engaged the entire time because of their interest for me meant a lot to me. And that's really how I ended up at Duquesne. So yeah, that was, that's it really. <laughs> did, did you do any visits at any other schools or consider, were any other schools really in the running? I guess you could say that you considered. 
like, to be completely honest, I like looking back now, I, everyone was on the same playing field. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to get the recruiting process over and done with because I, it was so overwhelming. And like the guidance wasn't exactly there for me. <clears throat> My parents yeah. wanted to, of course, help, but they didn't know what to ask. And, you know, they, they had no idea. And I just wanted to get the, the process over and done with. So what stuck out to me was the amount of interest that Duquesne, um, they put on like towards me. And I went out to a visit and immediately right off the bat, I got a good, a good five and a good feel from, from the staff. And I also liked how close it was to home and I'm a huge homebody and a big family person. So being five and a half hours away from home was a huge bonus. And it was, it was almost like a no brainer, you know, and who knows, things may have been different if I went to more visits, but I mean, I'm thoroughly content and happy with, with my decision, but that's so cool. Yeah. And uh, you were in Pittsburgh, so not too far. Obviously you're about five hours away. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's super cool. For now, sure. with regards to another basketball journey of yours, now we know that you played Team Canada basketball, which right. I can't even like. That is crazy to me. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what that would feel like to represent my country. So, just talk to us about. I guess the first part. I just want to hear from you, like your feeling on being able to do something like that. Man, it's. It's a, it's something that you can't put money on. You you can't put a price on the pride that you feel with putting on Canada basketball gear and hearing your national anthem playing in a country that's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you're standing in line with your teammates and it's it's almost as though like we're about to go to we're we're about to battle right now and it's it's us against them and we're playing something that we love and you're representing your country. You're representing an entire nation right now, and it, the the price or the the feeling that you get from that is, like I said, it's priceless, really. So there's like a yeah, go ahead. I can't even imagine that. No, I was gonna say I I genuinely can't imagine what that would feel like. The pride behind that, and um, so I'm of Egyptian background, and even okay. if like thinking of putting on an Egypt jersey, yeah, like, that would be crazy. And I haven't been there, and like I haven't been a citizen of that country, and like. <laughs> 20 years and that would still be crazy so i can't even imagine being able to do that for canada how old were you when you started playing for team canada uh i was about 15 or 16 when i first started and then played three or four summers yeah with different teams um and traveled all like all over the globe and that's like a huge a huge plus with playing for like your national team is the opportunity to see the world and that's something yeah. that plenty of people don't get the luxury of doing, and I was able to do it through the game, you know. So now, do you do you get invited to camps, or is it tryouts, or how does how does the ro- the roster get decided? So they'll like they'll hear about you, and they'll like ID kids. So they'll have kids on their radar that they'll keep in, like they'll just keep an eye on. And yeah. when you go away to university, they'll have people that are watching all the Canadians that are playing in the NCAA or here in Canada and the ones that are doing really well and the ones that they feel as though fit the Canada basketball system, they'll have them come out to try out and they'll make cuts and then go from there. But 
kind of like once you're in the the system from an early age, they kind of keep you on their radar to see how you're progressing and developing as an athlete. Yeah. And we'll invite you back to camps and and yeah, and go from there. So yeah. How was your transition going from sort of being a high school player here? I'm assuming, well, I'm not assuming, I'm like 95% confident that if you were playing at Duquesne in the NCAA that you were a starter on your team, that you had a pretty big role on your team here before obviously going to college. For sure. Um, talk talk about that transition between being that person mm-hmm. on your team to the role that you had in college. Now, I'm not 100% sure mm-hmm. of the role that you did have in college. Yeah. Uh, would you say it was... Uh, a little bit different than what you were doing and and what was that transition like for you uh so of course being playing high school and playing here in Canada I I had a huge role like you like you mentioned and noted but uh transitioning over to college I expected that it would be slightly different but in the back of my mind I wasn't okay with that like I wasn't okay with going there and and not starting and the reason I say not starting is because I wanted to be the top player right right off the bat. And it wasn't necessarily a top player based off of skill. I just wanted to be the hardest working kid and the most talkative kid on the court always. So like mm-hmm. I went in there hungrier than ever, you know, and that's just that's how I've always been with every team that I've that I've been a part of. I just wanted to be on the starting like the starting lineup because I knew that I'd be the top one of the top kids on that team and I wanted it to be as a result of me just working extremely hard. So I went to Duquesne and, you know, they, the coaches say it to this day that we weren't expecting you to start. Like we weren't expecting you to play as much as you did. And I went to Duquesne and was a starter right up, like right off the bat as a freshman. Nice. I started every yeah. single game except for one game. Cause it was senior night, you know, and <laughs> there, there is like a, a pride to that. And it's not me boasting. It's me just saying like, I'm not okay with, not being the hardest working kid in the gym and sacrificing my body to win basketball yeah. games. And like yeah. my teammates were okay with it. My coaches knew that that's exactly what I was trying to do, which is win, win basketball games. And of course they want me on the floor, you know? So yeah. the transition wasn't too difficult. I just knew I had to give it everything I had in the tank every single day. For sure. And uh, just for our listeners, yeah. I just pulled this up. So you started 32 of your 33 in your freshman year. Yeah. Uh, you were averaging 11.7 rebounds a game, mm-hmm. which you increased increased in your second year, which you also started 31 of 32 games. Uh-huh. You increased that to 15 and 6. So, Man. And then you increased that again in your last year when you started um, yep. to 15 and a half points and 8 rebounds. So kudos to you for showing that steady improvement and really for i think i'm not sure in the third year it didn't say anything about the starting but for the three years that i saw you pretty much started every single game and then obviously that last game you didn't miss senior night because you are a senior so (laughs) right right you got got that third (laughs) third game so um talk to us about how hard it is to get better when you're at that level because obviously everybody around you is going to be very competitive and also as you get to that level where the next step is really a question mark for a lot of people for sure. am i going to go the academic route am i going to go play pro, pro overseas am i going to try to go to the WNBA? am i going to coach like talk to us about you know that journey and and how hard it is really at that level to keep increasing your game and to just keep grinding and getting better for sure so i mean it, it is 
tough and challenging to be at a peak and then try to reach another and do that consistently. And for me, I'll give the, I'll give a lot of the credit to Canada basketball for helping me with that. Um, with, and during the summers, I'd go play with them and I'd come back <clears throat> a brand new player. And it was just the, the teaching and the learning and me just being able to compete during the summer at a high level versus a lot of my other teammates that weren't, you know, playing for their national teams and such, but that definitely helped me get better. Um, and, you know, you, you also have to understand as a player that you can't do the exact same thing your entire career and expect success. You know, it, people start figuring, figuring out who you are on the court and they start understanding your tendencies and you've got to add stuff to your toolbox day in and day out. Right. And continue to whatever you do really well, you have to keep working at them, those things to sharpen them even that much more. And whatever you don't do too well at on the floor, like you've got to at least work towards them. So then they're not a complete deficiency of yours. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So just, when you're playing at that level, too, with people with that IQ, your yeah. deficiencies will be picked up on oh, yeah. and will be prepared yeah. for as well. Right, right. As I'm sure you as a defender have prepared with your film sessions, yeah. sitting with coaches, knowing, you know, this person's coming to town today mm-hmm. and they like to jab left mm-hmm. and go right and hit yeah. me with that shot. So yeah. I'm going to, you know, do everything that I can to get to that spot before they do. That's so right. Obviously, you got to make sure you're on, on top of your game. That's right. Now, what was your mindset, I, I guess, maybe in your in your senior year and as you were finishing up your, your college career, mm-hmm. you know, you think about what do I want to do next? Like Fetty was saying, do I want to go the pro route? Do I want to go the academic route? Right. What was your mindset while balancing a senior season and then also thinking about what's, what's coming next? For sure. So, I mean, I entering my senior season, <clears throat> I wasn't thinking anything outside of that season right there in front of me. And as the season progressed, you know, the thoughts of, all right, what's next came across. But it didn't become real for me to become a pro up until agents started contacting me about playing professionally. Mm-hmm. And when I started receiving emails and direct messages and stuff from agents, that's when I was like, all right, like, I can actually do this. And yeah. this is something that I'd really like to consider, especially because this game isn't going to last forever. Right. Yeah. And at this point, I knew I was going to be graduating. Uh, so I'd be getting my my degree and what happens after, I mean, that's ultimately up to me, but I wanted to Mm. continue playing for as long as I could, you know, and as long as I wanted to and still love the game. And I did up until I couldn't anymore. Right. So I want to just bring us back a little bit because we failed to give you your flowers, Wumi, and you were a very humble person. Did you know that Wumi was named the 2011 Atlantic 10 Conference Rookie of the Year? Wow. Did you know <laughs> that in her second season, she was second team all-conference, finished fourth in scoring, two-time college sports madness mm-hmm. player of the week, and she's just sitting here like, yeah, yeah I worked hard. Journey. I, you know, <laughs> Meanwhile, she was killing, killing on the court. Appreciate Third year Atlantic 10, first team all-conference, college sports madness, second team all-conference. Is there and in her final season? Sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but uh, second team again, all conference. So we're talking to an all conference player oh, yeah. in all four years. <laughs> yeah. That is crazy. Congratulations is, to you. You had an awesome career. 
appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there is there any moment? I guess we'll, we'll go a little bit back before we go forward. Is there a, like a moment, maybe in your in your your freshman season or maybe your first or second practice that you kind of realized like this is a different level of basketball? Like, what was that moment that made you realize like I gotta bring my my A game every single day. I can't slack. I can't take days off. Yeah. What was the moment that you realized that like I'm here and this is another level of basketball? Uh, I'll probably say my first conditioning workout as a freshman. Um, and it wasn't even like it wasn't basketball related. It was just us doing conditioning and running. And I'm trying to keep up with our senior who is like she was uh, a nursing student and she, she was just the hardest. She's probably the hardest working person that I know. And I wanted to keep up with her on the court while while uh, doing our runs. And here I am giving it like everything that I have and not pacing myself. Yeah. And I learned really quickly that you can't come out the gates with a full head of steam and mm-hmm. try to sustain that for the entire duration of whatever it was. All right. So once I uh, got to a point where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I really can't go anymore. And typically I don't get to that point because I'll find another gear. But once yeah. I once I felt that, oh, man, I can't go anymore, and here I am, a freshman on the ground with, like, laying on my back, like, oh, my goodness. And meanwhile, my teammates, my upperclassmen teammates are still going. I'm like, man, I, but yeah, this is definitely this isn't. Is legit. Yeah, exactly. That's my reason. Oddly enough, I th- I think Michaela said the exact same thing when we asked That's her about this. So funny, because <laughs> I was like, because we asked her, we're like, what well, What was your first thing when you like? How did you realize you were at that level? She's like, when I got there, you know, yeah. I thought it was nice, and then we had that first practice, and I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Yeah. No way. Yeah. So that's that's pretty funny how you guys both mentioned that. Right. Right. So now, so there you go. Exactly. So since we know it, then it's our jobs to then make sure that those who are going to this next level are well aware and try to help them prepare. Yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. Now, back to <laughs> what we were talking about a little bit earlier. So uh, I did see that between your international uh, experience with Team Canada as well as um, you, you had some years where you played pro as well after college. For sure. Uh, you traveled to areas like Chile, China, Korea, Romania, Italy, Germany. I might be missing a couple, but yeah. – um, Talk to me about, or talk to both of us about, what is a the best location that you've been to, and b why is it the best location? Ooh, uh, that's a great question. That's tough. I, that's I, tough. I appreciate the question. Um, <laughs> I probably should have told you that one before to think about that one. Huh? <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, it's between Brazil and Italy, but if I had to choose, I would say Italy. And yeah. reason being, the food was fantastic. <laughs> um, oh, for sure. The people were just like Southern hospitality at its finest. You know, um, Where in Italy were you? I was in Umbria, which is like 45 minutes south of Rome. Okay. okay. Yeah, so I was in like the central part of Italy and had the opportunity to travel all over the country and try different foods and meet different people and loved the language and picked it up pretty quickly. And just the basketball was great out there. Um, like I said, the people, I, I really appreciated everything that that country had to offer. So if I had to choose, I'd say Italy. Wow, that's yeah. cool. I, I've never been to Italy or Brazil. 
Okay. Uh, but I know friends who went to Brazil for the World Cup when yeah. I was there. I've heard great things. Yeah. Um, and oddly enough, you mentioned the people in Italy, and that is actually the one thing I hear that people dislike about yeah. going to Italy. <laughs> really? Is, I guess maybe in Rome specifically, they were saying that people were not really as approachable. Um, but I mean, you you live there, so it's a very different experience than if you're a tourist for a couple of days. Right. You and come across somebody on a bad day, and you might have a terrible perception of that country and its people. That's right. Um, the one thing I will say is, when they first like my team would we all travel together, and when they would see people that didn't look like them, they would instantly assume that you're like that you're from the United States. Yeah. And there's a connotation with being an American. I mean, you can feel it like you can read between the lines. Uh, yeah, yeah. But then once like they realized I was Canadian, oh my goodness, like they love me. It's a whole different story. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, yeah, it's a whole different story. And maybe to them, they're looking at us as, as though we're unapproachable, you know, and I say yeah, us as in like true. anyone who's not Italian, you know, so sure. Yeah. Uh, so like they might be looking at us like, oh, they're unapproachable. So they're looking at us sideways when really like, we're getting that from them, you know. So, yeah. yeah. How's the basketball crowd there in, in yeah. Italy? Is, what, is there anything unique about the basketball culture in Italy? Oh yeah, like the the chants that you hear at soccer games are the same ones that you hear in the in the That's crowds. That, exactly, with the drums and they're like sing different chants depending on where you are in the country, and it's it's really cool. The culture is extremely rich, and they love their basketball, men or women basketball. They love it. So it was it was really fun to play there and be a part of that. So yeah. Cool. So now you're working um, as a junior coach for the 905. So maybe just explain to us how that opportunity came about and how you kind of just landed that that kind of role. And what brought you yeah. back home? Yeah. So uh, I was at University of Pittsburgh as the uh, graduate assistant on the women's mm-hmm. basketball coaching staff. And while there, got my MBA and coach full-time and once that that position was over I was then looking for another opportunity in coaching and being a Canadian you need a visa in order to stay out in the U.S. Yeah, we heard that one from Michaela too yeah. yeah so like the visa became an issue and it was just like extremely delayed there was like a four to six month delay and who knows when I'd be able to get that uh, that visa in my in my hands? So jobs were coming to me left, right, and center, but I couldn't grab onto any of them because I didn't have my visa. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I felt as though I was trying to force the situation because I'm calling everybody that I know within the league and you know hoping that someone will take a risk and lock me in in hopes that I get my visa sooner than later. But really, no one was willing to take that risk understandably so you know like they've got to go recruiting and stuff they don't want to be understaffed so anyhow um i wrapped up my my season at pit and i decided you know maybe i should go back home you know so i picked up the phone and started making phone calls to the people that i've connected with throughout my career letting them know what was going on and hey if you hear anything let me know please and eventually i got on the phone with coach kissy and he shared with me a position that had just opened up, and it was a position that Tamir Tatum had last year as the junior coach. And that position was open, and I he was like, hey, send your resume in. I don't know. You know, it's worth a try. I don't know what's going to happen, but, I mean, why not? And, sh- 
sure enough, I submitted my resume, fingers crossed, you know, and what, two weeks later, I get a phone call to meet with head coach Jama Malalela. And yeah. met with him during an interview. And a couple of days later, I get offered the, the job. And I was, for the, it was a no brainer. I absolutely, you know, I'm coming back home. Okay. I'm in a league that, man, I had never imagined before. And I, yeah, it was just a great opportunity. And the timing was, was there and everything aligned. And here I am. So you actually kind of segued it for me because I actually wanted to ask you about Coach Jamma. And, I, again, I'm not going to try to pronounce that last name. <laughs> There's a lot of L's there. So yeah. it's like, ma, ma, is it Malalela? Yes, exactly. There you go. One, two, oh, three. Okay. Cool. That's, that's pretty easy. <laughs> so my, my buddy here, Zaid, he's loved two coaches mm-hmm. in, my, in my lifetime. Okay? okay. He was spot on, I think, with the both of them. But the first one was Nick Nurse. Okay. I knew it. He loved Nick Nurse, I'd yep. say, back in like 2012, 13 when he was an assistant. He's like, dude, this guy was a player coach in the UK. He won in the UK. He's this, this, that. And then all of a sudden, uh, he takes over the head coach, obviously leads him to a championship. And now Nick Nurse is doing his thing with the double ends on his hat. He's got his own brand. Like He's doing his thing. Yeah. And the sure. second person was Coach Jama Malalela. Yeah. That I don't know for some reason he just had an obsession with. I'm so, not going to say obsessed. Not say obsession, to, but he saw he saw in him that he was a good coach. Yes. And he was he was always saying like this guy here like he knows what he's talking about. He looks like you know the, even from his they they'd have him do like halftime interviews. He knows right? what he's saying, and man. he knows what he's talking yeah. about. He's eloquent. He's he's well spoken. Doesn't sure. look like the kind of guy who's going to yell in in a public setting, but is just a good you know explainer of the game so talk to us a little bit about um having that as a mentor and what working with him has been like man it's it's been a dream honestly he's everything that you just mentioned um he's extremely humble he he's a people first kind of guy he sees the good in everything um he brings out the best in anyone that he's around and I heard this before actually meeting him and working with him, and I took that very lightly, you know. And now working with him on a day to day, I'm it. It's beyond me how he is so genuinely genuine. You know, everything that he does, he does it out of like he he does it out of love, and that's how he lives, and that's that's what he preaches. And just very fortunate to be working with someone like that. And he's when he talk about givers and takers, he is one thousand percent a giver all the time. Mm-hmm. And like his his um his mo is win the day, you know, win, or win the moment. Mm-hmm. Pardon. And that's what he sees us to do every single opportunity he gets. Um, and it could be a basketball game, or it can be winning the moment while you're sitting in traffic, you know. And that's just his outlook on life and. He brings that to the basketball court, and he relates with the players on a whole different level. And I respect him so much for being able to do that, honestly. Yeah, he's phenomenal. So so what's it kind of like being around guys who, especially in the 905, they're right there on the cusp of getting to the highest level of basketball, and they're – you feel like they're all trying to prove something. Even Coach Gemma, he's trying to prove something. You know, he's trying to coach at a, at a high level. You got guys who have played in the league, like Tyler Ennis, mm-hmm. um, 
Brissette is in is, is, O'Shea. is O'Shea's b- back and forth. Yeah, you know. So what's it like? And what's Chris Boucher, Montreal boy? Exactly. I don't because you're with the team this year. I don't know that he's you've had much exposure to him because he's been on the Raptors more this year. But I'm sure you know what kind of impact that Chris Boucher had on the G League just last year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So what's it like, what's it like being around those kind those kinds of guys who just always think they have something to prove? And what's their mindset? What do you think keeps them going? Maybe other than just like I gotta make it to the league. Like, what else is there that's driving these guys? Uh, the fact that they've got something to prove, you know, and they know that they're that close, but yet the margin between them and the like the twelfth guy on the NBA roster is so slim. All right, mm. so they've got to find a way to separate themselves from the bunch, and a lot of times there's a misconception where they think they've got to be the highest scorer. When really, like, what teams are looking for, what GMs are looking for, is for a player that can come in and be a part of a system, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're not expecting you to come, like, come up to an NBA team and score double-figure digits and grab 10, 15 rebounds. They're not expecting that. They want you to come in, play a role, and do it really, really well. So for us, like, it's, it's our jobs to make sure that they understand that and they're able to play effective basketball as efficiently as possible while running a system. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, they've certainly got something to prove. I mean, that's why they're here and they're here to develop into NBA players and that's our jobs. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's nonstop, right? The job's never, the job's never done. You know, you just got to continue to work at it. As, like on the coaching staff and as well as for the for the players. Yeah. Now, do you get for the two way guys kind of like a like an O'Shea yeah. that go back and forth between the Raptors and the 905? Mm-hmm. Do you get maybe a direct, um, maybe direct guidance from the Raptors on how they want him to develop or what they want him to do and how they want him to play, or does he come in and play within the 905 system, or how does that relationship between the Raptors and the 905 work? Yeah, so um, we're one in the same between the Raptors and the 905. I mean, whatever they're running, we're doing this exact same thing. So then yeah. the transition is seamless. Um, right. And we've got to do things to help them win basketball games. Right? So yeah, okay, yeah. For them, if they see that a certain player needs to be playing the, the, like a wing, then that's what we need to be playing them as, even though mm-hmm. it may, they may be best fit with us as a four or five or whatever, right? But we've got to yeah. make sure that we're doing things to complement whatever they're trying to, whatever their vision is and whatever they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you get a chance to work with uh, Matt Thomas? He was recently, I think they, they moved him down to the 905 when he was coming back from his thumb injury. Yeah. The only reason I ask is I want to know, is he actually 100% from open threes in practice? <laughs> Man, that guy doesn't miss. He's a walking bucket. I, like, all jokes aside, I, I actually heard a crazy, crazy stat from when he was in college or even when he uh, – did he play in the pros for a bit after college? I think he played in Europe. I, I'm not sure where he played, but I, I heard a crazy stat about him. Like having It was like 95% from like it, when a threes. defender was – three or more feet away from him or something crazy like this where he just does not miss yeah i, I mean i believe so. that the, the guy is a, like i said a walking bucket like i don't know yeah. his, his his stroke is something crazy man 
fire. But, it's fire. Yeah. I yeah. love Matt. I see a lot of JJ Redick in Matt Thomas. Yeah. Yep, yep. And I, I hope one day he gets that opportunity and just gets more minutes. You and me both. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I want to play this interview for you that we came across. Okay. Um, it's uh, it was on City News, I believe. They did a little segment. Yeah. Um, I think it was ask ask a basketball player or something mm-hmm. about you know for any anybody who's growing up in that system. Yeah. Um, but before I get into the question, I'm just gonna play the interview for our listeners. Okay. My one tip is go towards your dream and don't let anything get in the way of that. And if you want something, then everything that you do on a day to day should align with exactly that. You said at the end that whenever you want something. Mm-hmm. Everything that you have to do on a day-to-day basis should align exactly with that. That's right. So for any for any young Canadian basketball players, whether it be young ladies, young men who are you know aspiring not to just play basketball but to have a journey similar to the one that you had, to be able to put on Canadian threads, to be able to give back by you know being a development coach for the local team in the city. Yeah. Um, what advice can you leave with them in terms of, you know, that work ethic and that structure of, of your life, setting a goal and all that stuff? For sure. So, I mean, I'll echo what I said in that interview of, you know, going towards your dream with a full head of steam and not letting anything get in the way. But it's also knowing that it's it's not going to come easy, you know, and my mom always said it, easy come, easy go, easy go. Right. So when, you have your heart set on something, whatever that thing is, understand that it's not going to come to you like without any type of uphill battle, you know, and that's just the way life is. And that's just the way, like, there's nothing that you can do to go to, to get around it. Right. So whenever you're going through a time of uncertainty of discomfort, but your heart is there, then keep your vision and your, your mind locked into whatever your heart desires, right? Cause everything else will, will have very little weight and impact on, on deterring you from that path towards your, your desire. You know, so just through thick and thin, take it a day at a time, take it a moment at a time and work through it with your vision in the forefront of your mind. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. Wumi, thank you so, so much for your time. Honestly, I know we've taken an hour from you on <laughs> it's 10 PM guys, local time after she did a full day. Yeah. Uh, so just the ability, like, honestly, we are so, so thankful for this opportunity no uh, for your time and everything. For sure. One more thing before I let you go. Yeah. Uh, obviously I told you in the beginning that, the whole objective of this podcast is we want to provide a platform for any athletes within Toronto mm-hmm. um, to be able to share their pro to, to share their story. That's right. And obviously Michaela was kind enough to put us in touch with you. Yeah. But if you know anybody, yeah, uh, like a Tyler Ennis or an O'Shea Brissett <laughs> or a Chris Boucher, hey, okay. uh, any word of mouth, honestly, would be great. We'd love to have any of those guys on just to give their story. And obviously not Chris Boucher, but uh, Tyler hey, Ennis is actually someone who's our age that we've been following. Since okay. Syracuse, man. Since, yeah, since so, Syracuse days. I met him so last week. from Brampton. Yeah, Zade met him last I week. I met him at last the, week at a, at a restaurant downtown, actually. Really cool. I went up to him, like, yo, man, yeah. keep doing what you're doing. I want to see you with the Raptors. So yeah, any 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 word of mouth that would be awesome, and, and just to get that 
platform going as well for them. But thank you so much. We are going to see you on February 1st. Michaela told us we're going to go see the game. That's uh, it. So, so we're excited to meet you in person. And, again, thank, thank you, you so much for, for you know, blessing us today hey, with, with your knowledge and, and everything. So we appreciate it. No problem. And I appreciate you guys having me on the show. And I'll definitely – Get to put out a feeler and see who's interested because i mean you guys did an awesome job and i appreciate it so thank you no no we, we appreciate you thank you so much and no uh, to our listeners again this is Wumi. i'm not gonna try the Co- last name because i'm not Wumi, good at bro. it and i don't yep. want to be disrespectful so it's coach Wumi, coach, Wumi. coach underscore Wumi. if you guys want to follow on instagram, uh, on instagram mm-hmm. and the other social media networks as well and For sure. best of luck to you with the 905 and everything and we hope to see nothing but success come your way Thank you. And, uh, again, we're super excited to meet you in person. With that being said, have a good night. Have a safe night. And we'll chat sometime soon, hopefully. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Umi. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was crazy. Wow. That was was probably one of the coolest things I've done to date. Uh, Shout-out to Umi for that. Shout-out to Michaela for for making that happen. Um, And, honestly, just – to be able to listen to people that grew up just down the street from us and their journey and it almost seems like it's a fairy tale for somebody like us growing up but this is reality for a lot yeah. of people so it's super cool and uh we're, we're blessed to have her on mm-hmm. uh, but with that being said ladies and gentlemen hope you enjoyed this episode if you have any questions for Wumi that you want to ask shoot us on twitter instagram twitter, facebook instagram, wherever yeah. Uh, we'll get the question off to her and, and we'll see if she can answer that question for you yeah uh have a safe night Have a good night. Peace. Uh, I guess when you see it, it's going to be afternoon, but uh, we'll come back next week. Uh, Two episodes again? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we feel about next week. But uh, for now, ladies and gentlemen, it's goodbye.